Hi, Fee Hills here from the Virtual Coffee House, and I want to say a big welcome to the very first podcast episode, which is an overall introduction on how to create a preventative workplace wellbeing culture, a bit of a mouthful. You may be asking, why are we starting to talk about building a preventative workplace culture when we're generally talking about behaviour and cultural change in the workplace on the podcast as a whole? And the reason for that is that creating a preventative workplace well-being environment is absolutely fundamental and foundational if we want to transform behaviour and culture in all workplaces. And for this reason, it's really the only place to start. Just to tell you a little bit about what's going to be happening about episodes and the Virtual Coffee House podcast as a whole. We're going to be having regular learning episodes, what we call learning episodes, and they're learning about behaviour and cultural change, workplace well-being, mind nudging, how to design and deliver behaviour games, experiential workshops, gamification, scalable learning and anything else that supports you to accelerate and scale behaviour and cultural change. Also, just to say, watch out for our show called Whose Job Is It Anyway? where all the Virtual Coffee House tribe will get involved and invite industry colleagues as well to join in discussion, debate on so many vital topics on workplace culture and behaviour change and, of course, workplace well-being, both responsive and preventative. So let's get started. And I really want to start with the end in mind and explore some of the skills we're all going to need in the 2025 workplace, according to the World Economic Forum. Only wait. The COVID crisis has brought these forward. I, we need these skills now in 2022. And these include analytical thinking and innovation, active listening and learning strategies, complex problem solving, critical thinking and analysis, creativity, originality and initiative, leadership and social influence, technology use and monitoring and control, Technology design and programming, resilience, stress tolerance and flexibility and reasoning, problem solving and ideation. Now, these are really interesting because what you'll notice is a lot of these are about higher order thinking skills. And understandably, you may be asking, OK, then. So what have these 10 skills got to do with creating a preventative work based wellbeing culture? And the answer is simple. The more digital our workplaces become, the more we need to improve our higher order thinking skills like creative thinking, critical thinking, analytical thinking, etc. As well as our emotional intelligence, leadership skills and, of course, personal resilience. But the truth is and the strange thing is that we can't develop these skills we so greatly need and would make our life happier unless we're emotionally physically and mentally well. If the goal is to improve and retain great talent, the journey of transformation starts with preventative work-based well-being and putting people in an emotional and a cognitive state that is conducive to growth and development. Ultimately, we're looking to create a learning organisation or rather a scalable learning organisation. But, you know, what does that mean? And more importantly, how do we create it in practice? And to explore this further, we really need to be looking at the work of John Hegel, who I'd highly recommend you you look up 
and certainly buy any books that he's written, etc. Read any articles. Really helpful. But he said developing a scalable learning strategy is one of the most strategic things an organisation can do as it will be the biggest differentiator, easy for you to say, in the 21st century. And he talks about moving from scalable efficiency to scalable learning. So we're going to be exploring that whole subject. But here are some principles from him to get started. And he quotes, tacit knowledge is far more valuable than explicit knowledge. The next principle he talks about is the key imperative in a rapidly changing environment is to find ways to develop new knowledge rather than merely sharing existing knowledge. So that isn't to say that we don't share tacit knowledge and existing knowledge, but new knowledge creation is also where it's at if we want to create a scalable learning culture. And he says, let theory emerge from practice. And that is why everybody's talking about experiential learning. Let theory emerge from practice instead of practice being implemented directly from a tried theory or strategy. And this is where our EPIC methodology comes from. EPIC that stands for experiential, playful, iterative and collaborative. More about that after. So just hold that thought. It's really to allow theory to come from practice, to create an agile learning environment where learning happens as part of our daily working lives, which ultimately is the goal if we want a learning organisation. So let's take a helicopter view at the current state of play in workplace wellbeing right now. 53.6% of employers said that staff, mental health and wellbeing is their top challenge in 2022. And according to Saratoga Institute and their research on a better place to work, 75% of low engagement, attrition and absenteeism is caused by poor relationships in the local team and their needs not met in their job. So that's 75% of the problem sits in the local team. Great news is it also means that the solution can be found there in the local team too. And our own research campaign in 2020 and then again in 2021 demonstrates that 91% of organisations cite a breakdown in trust as being the main cause of their people problems. And there are also some really unhelpful myths around. And I want to quote this particular one. Creative people are more likely to get mental health issues. This is a myth. It's not true. And certainly one thing is for sure. It's not helpful either to the individual or the organisation. There are other myths and in time in other episodes, we'll maybe go over those and maybe get involved in some discussion about them. See what you think of them. So where are we when it comes to employee health in 2022? Particularly, I'm talking about physical health here. Well, here are some stats from one case study within a public sector organisation in 2021 and 2022. And I have to say, the figures don't make very attractive reading. More importantly, is they predict what could be a dire situation when it comes to resource management and talent management in a year or two down the line. That's why these figures are just so important, because once we know our numbers as an organisation or as a team, we can predict what's probably going to happen in a year or two. Out of 250 employees who took part and who went through the health checks, if you like, physical health checks, here's the figures. 
37% scored high or very high blood pressure. 26% scored high on cholesterol. 28% high blood glucose. 54% were overweight. 28% admitted physical inactivity. 43% were experiencing high stress. 49% admitted unhealthy behaviours. This does not just put our people under stress, it puts the organisation under stress. And eventually, it's going to break. There is an interesting CT scan picture of two brains. On the left-hand side, it is a scan of a brain at play or participating in sort of playful or experiential learning. And it's lit up like a Christmas tree. And on the right-hand side, the scan picture is of a passive learning participation. So they're just taking information in, as it were, being, if you like, you know, going through the experience of training or teaching. In other words, passive learning, which is barely lit up at all. So, you know, the great thing about neuroscience is we can test what works and doesn't work. And without a doubt, the experiential, the playful side, the bit where you're in creative flow, it literally lights up every part of our brain. And that that's really where we need to be. I think I think the scan is from Jane McGonigal, the lady who focuses more on gamification. So what this indicates is the critical need for experiential and playful learning interventions, especially when it comes to behaviour and cultural change. So there are two big shifts happening in the workplace right now. The first is called what I like to call the power shift. And it's really about the great resignation, as it is being called. And this has really been ignited through the global crisis, although it's very likely it would have happened anyway, just maybe a couple of years later. And I read this in an article. Actually, I can't cite where the article is from, but I think it was Harvard. Companies are burning through talent and reports of a 30% average churn rate in figures of 100 employees, 30 will resign. A red hot jobs market may force some to move on and some pay hikes as much as 20% or more in some industries, while others may leave the industry altogether. People are going to stay in this market not just because of money. I mean, we know that. People want vitality at work. They want individuality and they want inclusivity. They want to be valued. The second paradigm shift that is really important in all this is the role of the leader has changed radically. In the new world of work, in the digital workplace or the hybrid workplace, leaders only have control over the talent they take into their team or organisation and the workplace environment they create for their people once they're there. And above that, you know, it's how well they communicate, how well they influence, how well they inspire those around them to both change and innovate. Employees, on the other hand, only have control over what organisation or team they join most of the time. Their internal dialogue, in other words, how they think internally controlling and mastering their own mind and regulating their own emotions and also how competent they are at communicating and influencing people around them. 
So you might think, well, what could go wrong then? That that all seems a bit obvious. What is actually happening is everybody is trying to control things outside their circle of control. So leaders carrying on in many cases, doing the thinking for their people, prescribing the outcomes, what good looks like, instead of facilitating them to think for themselves. And that's the shift. So the shift for leaders is they have to shift or, or are shifting or in the digital workplace really must make that shift from doing the thinking for their people to facilitating them to think for themselves. So a few things need to happen. Obviously, you need to release control, but also, therefore, everybody needs a different type of skill. So the leaders need to know how to facilitate others to develop. They've been given quite a burden on top of the already full job. And it's almost like we're expecting leaders who are not careful to be neuroscientists and, and they're not. So we need to give them the, the tools and the know-how to help transform people and, and give people the ability to think for themselves critically, analytically, creatively. Uh, so it really is a big shift. This is why we're going into what's called like a coaching culture. But this is more than coaching. We're talking about really facilitating change and development of our people. And the onus of that responsibility and that burden is being put more and more onto the leader's shoulders. And it's a heavy burden. So the question is, how do we create a foundational culture of preventative workplace well-being? And whose job is it to do that? And I really want to start with the journey and the methodology, i.e., or rather, should I say it the other way around, the methodology and the journey, the process, if you like. So when we're thinking about developing or fostering a preventative work-based culture and using it as a foundational tray, if you like, to build a unique culture on, then we need to think about the architecture. Now, we have a method and process that we've developed to accelerate and scale behaviour and cultural change. And the method is called EPIC. So I'm going to take you through that. It sits on a process or a journey which has four components, ignite, embed, grow and sustain and really grow and sustain go together. Now we use this process for everything we design. Now what we find is when you look at the journey a second or that process, Ignite, which is stage one, companies are really good at igniting change. But then it seems to sort of fall by the wayside very often, quite quite understandably, because work, daily life and life just gets in the way. Where it can fall down is in the next stage which is embed and embed is really about habitual change so how do we instill new habits of thinking in our people we can't control their behavior but we can influence their thinking we can support their transformation and habitual change with tools with language there's so many ways to do that that are relatively easy to do once the right architecture is in place the third part of the journey is grow. And this is where we're really looking to develop people's skills. That's where you can hit the ground with higher order thinking skills. And then the fourth, obviously, is sustain, where you're building learning tribes. They're sharing tacit knowledge. That is where the scalable learning is built into the day to day life. 
So let's start with what it actually means, as I think I introduced it in the first place, which was EPIC stands for Experiential, Playful, Iterative and Collaborative. So let's break these down a little bit so you understand each element. Experiential learning is designed to be learner-centred rather than trainer-centred, which effectively means that the learner is at the centre of the experience. And that is why experiential learning is so important right now. So it's about observation, experimentation, and then reflection, rather than information or any prescribed outcomes. We will be going into the whole detail about learner-centred development. And really our process for experiential learning is observe, putting people into the experience, in other words, reflect, reflection on that, which is really where the learning is happening. It isn't happening in the experience. It's really happening when we reflect on that experience post-activity or post-game and then adapt. And of course, adaptation is done in iterative little bits. Okay, so that was experiential learning. That was the E in EPIC. But what about the P? What's that all about? And EPIC stands for play or playful learning. Why playful learning? Now, playful is always experiential. Experiential is not always playful. And playful is definitely not always appropriate. So in playful learning, we're talking about it being, again, psychologically safe. So it has that in common with experiential learning. People will experiment. They will think creatively or they can think creatively in that environment because there's no wrong answer, is it? It's play challenge decisions and even within a game there's rules but it's playful so in playful learning they get creative thinking they can challenge decisions they can think critically and it's hopefully they're doing it as a group it's collaborative so you've got that sort of social aspect to learning so where appropriate you do playful in behavior games for example the uh, interventions and the activities that we make are either experiential or they're playful, depending on what's appropriate. So that's P. And now for the I in EPIC, and that stands for iterative, repetition of the experiential process. A lot of practitioners will know what iteration and the sort of compound effect is. Now bring that over to if you like, experiential learning and iterating that process in tiny micro bits. So this is the repetition of experiential process. My nudging is more experiential and iterative. So we're looking to do one to three minutes a day and over time that compounds and over time that has a transformational effect. And when we say over time, let's say a month or two, you're starting to see the effect. So it's not like a workshop. So you can see the complete difference. When we want habitual change, we need iteration. So we get continuous growth and improvement. So we're really looking to only change one thought, belief or limiting belief and bias at a time or one frame of mind. We're not going for the whole big bang ignite thing. So this is what we mean by, you know, the blend according to where you are in the cultural change journey. And finally, the C in EPIC stands for collaboration or collaborative. Now, collaboration is a critical ingredient for innovation. So if you think of creative thinking as being a process 
that innovation is perhaps when we do it all together is the process where we think creatively and then critically and so forth to innovate to come up with something novel and then work it and then turn it into a reality. So this is really about social learning. Together, we can explore, experiment, and therefore create new knowledge together. And this is where as well the learning tribes come in. Learning tribes, yes, they do take management and they do take setting up, but they cost nothing. Learning tribes deserve a whole season of learning on how to get them right. But a learning tribe is the place where we create an environment that's trusted, where we can share tacit knowledge and where we can create new knowledge together. So remember that's grow and sustain element of the journey. Now they're really, really important in the new world of work. I mean, they're critical if you want a learning organization, well, regardless whether you call them learning tribes or, or something else. But the thing is, and again, this is down to John Hegel's theory or, or work, if you like. To scale learning, we need to share tacit knowledge and create new knowledge together, uh, amongst other things. But it's not really about technology. So scalable learning is not really about technology because learning tribes can really be no bigger than, say, 16 to 20, or we can't get that trust that closeness and that trust where we feel comfortable, psychologically safe to share tacit knowledge and create new knowledge without feeling ever feeling silly. So we need to build that trust. And of course, the technology you can use for learning tribes could be face to face, could be Teams, could be Zoom, any one of those platforms. But it's not actually really about high tech. And what I will do is have whole episodes on explaining mind nudging, how you can start designing your own mind nudging if you want to. That sort of takes your fancy. Really powerful stuff, mind nudging. And also goes through behaviour games and help explaining the experiential activities and games, how they're used, how you can design workshops with them. So I'm going to do loads of episodes to really get into the detail. And what I'm going to do is put the whole journey together over one or two seasons, as well as all the other stuff we'll be doing, like interviewing, doing the show of whose job is it anyway, which is going to be not just fun. It's going to be really informative. And the various different things we're doing with Abby, who'll do all the health episodes. So there will literally be so much content in the second half of 2022 and 23. If you're a practitioner in well-being, HR, learning, OD, OH, it's going to be extremely valuable to you. And I will say again, if anyone feels they have content to add, ideas to add, or really wants to get involved, do email us at admin at virtualcoffeehouse.co or go to our website at virtualcoffeehouse.co. It's been wonderful doing this first episode. It has been a bit more of a helicopter view. I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's given you some food for thought. And I'll see you on the next episode. Over and out.